Hello, this is Ted Brzezelski. Uh, it's that time for another episode of Words and Work. Today is uh, Joe Ferguson, a member of the National Writers Union, and um, has become, well, he started as a journalist, uh, Arizona Daily Wildcat, Arizona Daily Sun, Arizona Daily Star, uh, but uh, is now uh, doing work as a housing advocate, and he will talk about how he has uh, evolved into that role. And uh, this is uh, it's going to be interesting. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what's going to be happening with the National Writers Union Tucson chapter after the interview. So here we go with Joe. So we've got uh, Joe Ferguson, um, who is a member of the National Writers Union, but and actually a former reporter with the Arizona Daily Star. And uh, I'm trying to make sure I get the name of it right. The Arizona Daily Sun. Is that what they call it? Yes. Yes. And I, I went for the trifecta a long time ago and worked at the Arizona Daily Wildcats to make sure that my byline was in many papers that said the word Arizona Daily something for the last 20 years. Well, that's that's very important that that, you know, are, are you the only reporter that's uh, been able to do that? No, um, there there was a great kind of uh, pipeline of Daily Wildcat reporters that went to the Daily Sun. And I'm sure that uh, several of us went to the Daily Star afterwards. So, okay, so, so it's a proud um, tradition. OK, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, that we we have that journalistic cycle going. Could you talk a little bit about what uh, your journalism career was like? I uh, sure. I was approximately eighteen when a a student, um, a fellow student of mine, went with his brother across the street into the desert, and um, they played Russian roulette with a gun, and he shot himself, and that was the first story I ever wrote in a newspaper, and I was eighteen, and I've been writing on and off ever since well you know that's now at the star um you started covering stories involving the housing crisis and the eviction crisis um, yeah i i am um, i actually started doing some of that kind of work even before then um i i, I was in flagstaff when we had what they call the great recession mm -hmm. and um flagstaff has got its own unique challenges but Housing is exceptionally expensive there, even during under the best of circumstances. And so we wrote a lot about foreclosures. We a lot about a lot of people losing their homes. Um, you know, there was an icon uh, that was the what we called informally, you know, the mayor of the South Side in in Flagstaff, and he had a successful business. He was well known. He was well established, and everything was wiped out with that, the, the, the great recession. And he went from, you know, being somebody who worked with local charities and helped people you know, give the shirt off his back to losing everything overnight. So, you know, I've seen this up close and personal, you know, in my capacity as a journalist for more than a decade. And I know how easy it is to make for one thing to happen and to lose everything. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm curious. And before we get too much into the housing stuff, I, as you yeah. were coming up as a journalist, 
who were the folks that you looked up to in Arizona journalism and, and nationally? You know, um, I was fed a steady diet of uh, different writers. And so uh, I, uh, I got sick. And so I read a lot of the beats and then from reading all the beats like Kerouac and others, I found myself in looking at people like Hunter Thompson and some of the other kind of new, new journalism people that were pioneered at the time. And so I really enjoyed that kind of stuff on the national circuits. Um, Thompson's uh, eulogy for Nixon was an example of an incredibly important politics that, you know, not everybody really understood at the time. And so I really liked that. And so from there, you know, I, I read Howie Fisher from there. I read uh, Joe Sokowski. I read um, uh, a lot of other, you know, star reporters because that's where I grew up. Not, not to say I didn't read The Citizen as well. There were um, T.T. Revere and others that I read there as well. But, um, you know, I mostly read The Star in the morning when I, before I went to school. Yeah. And in college. You know, yeah. I, it, it's funny when, when I hear uh, young journalists bring up Hunter Thompson because I, I always kind of wonder, you know, how, how would it be to have to be his editor? I've read some of his, uh, I've read some of the biographies, both unauthorized and, uh, and authorized. And, Oh my God, they, it sounds like it was hellish. I, I, I honestly rarely say this, but I really felt bad for, for Jan Warner at times. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, so let's get back into the housing thing. Cause uh, you were, um, there were, uh, in the last few years, you were pursuing a few stories regarding uh, evictions in Tucson, and that led you in a certain direction professionally. It, it did. And so um, what happened was, is that I was a, uh, a part-time adjunct instructor over at the U of A teaching uh, a, a class on covering um, public, the, uh, public government. So the reporting for public affairs. And I got an email one morning from the department offering to pay for a small amount of records or for access, essentially a grant application designed to, you know, encourage reporting. And so it, it pushed me to really consider like what wasn't being looked at. And over time and talking to some people, we focused on eviction court. And so for that semester, we had 20 students going into every nook and cranny to really kind of understand what was going on, whether it was public housing or, you know, individual eviction cases or the market. And to do that and to teach that class well, I had immersed myself in it as well. And so uh, I began to really follow and speak to on a regular basis and do ride-alongs with um, Constable Randall and Constable Bernal. And uh, that led to an opening that happened, you know, at the end of 2019. And so there was a moment in time where, you know, somebody else could step in and continue their work and broaden their work and 
advocate in the same way for another part of town that wasn't being advocated for then and is not since. So um, I felt that I was asked to serve. And so I submitted my name um, to be a constable, effectively ending my career in journalism. Yeah. And um, how, you know, so I, I know we had, we had, Constable Randall on uh, a few weeks ago, so I, I you know, I don't want to go too much over no the same she, ground. However, I, I just just if you could quickly describe what it is that a constable does. I mean, you don't get the bobby hat or anything, so no, the the uniforms are not as as uh, old timey as you would hope. They don't have that kind of flair, but you are required to deliver court papers. And, you know, there are two really important ones. One is an order of protection and the other one is for eviction. And so um, both of those, you know, I, I tried to handle in a more respectful manner because I've been close to being homeless in my lifetime. And so I know how hard it is. And so I had to do evictions. My choice was to get to people early, let them know the eviction is coming so that they could do more and have options other than just being forced out of what they were, what is their home, you know, in a very short period of time, um, sometimes minutes. So that was my whole thing was trying to help people during that pandemic stay in their homes through eviction moratoriums, um, either through the state or through the CDC. Okay. And um, so you uh, unfortunately lost the election and were replaced, but you've found a, a way to continue some of that work through, or actually yeah. was through the National Lawyers Guild. Am I correct? Yeah, I, uh, I made a promise and it became something a little bit more than just something, a job. So it became a personal mission for me to continue to help those people. Um, once, you know, I got the taste for it and once I would go to bed worrying about these people, I, I couldn't stop. So now I'm working with the National Lawyers Guild as a volunteer and I'm offering, you know, information to people ahead of their evictions to let them know that Hey, you've got a court case coming up, or hey, the court has found you to be that you're being evicted. You know, here is you know some resources available to you. Um, with the CDC moratorium ending this month, um, I'm going to have to figure out new ways to talk to people. But the mission is still the same as so many people. For a lot of reasons, don't go to their eviction hearing, and they just they know they're behind on their rent, but they don't necessarily know that they're being evicted that week. And so it's a hundred degrees out and, you know, how do you kick out an 81 year old woman into the streets who has nowhere to go? It's almost a death sentence. So I, I really want to find ways to help them. And so this is what I do um, at nights and on the weekends. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious because, you know, you and I both read the articles about, you know, rents going to, I mean, I know there was the one article about, I, I think it said like $4,000 rent for some unit downtown. And I know that that's atypical, uh, right. but it's still, 
there's still a lot of folks that are priced out of uh, of housing, and and especially to me, I, the 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 big problem I think is is housing near where they can work. Yeah. Um. And I mean, do you see, you know, on the horizon anything that's going to change on that or? I mean, I think that we are facing an unprecedented number of evictions in the next six months where thousands of families and for your listeners, they should hear the word children who will be forced out of their homes and will be, you know, if they're lucky living on somebody's couch, but there are people living on their children, living in cars their children living in washes tonight. And right now, you know, there's not a lot in between that thin line between eviction and homelessness. And so I'm, I'm worried. Um, I don't see, you know, anything good coming out of it. I know there are a lot of strong discussions and a lot of people working hard on the issue, but there is such a large supply right now that you know, um, some of the things that I'm working on are the five for, you know, the $15 minimum wage and, you know, trying to push for more affordable housing options, including um, this ADU discussion that's happening at the city council later this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. That's, that one's been interesting because it, 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 it cuts a lot of different ways for people, um, you know, because, the you know and i can't get in I, I probably shouldn't get into it too much given my day job but it's sure but let me let me get into it for a moment okay. because i was a single father going to college i worked two jobs and he and i lived in a very small adu mm-hmm. if it wasn't for the fact that that secondary um little house lived in the back of somebody's yacht lot I don't know where I live. I couldn't afford a full apartment and utilities and everything else that went with it. When it was just me and him, and it, for most of my life has been just me and him, that's all we could afford. And so I, I was so grateful for that tiny little granny flat with, you know, one bed and one couch and one sink and one, you know, that we could live there. It was ours. It was, a, it was safe. It was, it was enough for us to get through some of the most hardest times of my life. Okay. Um, well, let me, let me ask you a little bit, just, we have a little bit of time left and I'm just curious about uh, you as a writer. I mean, we talked about you as a, a journalist and I know it's almost the same thing, but do you, almost. yeah, yeah, almost. <laughs> what do you, what, what kind of writing do you do besides journalism or, or do you have the chance to, you know, I am, I, I, it is so cliche. It, it, it pains me physically to say this out loud, but I'm considering writing a book about my year as a constable during the pandemic. Um, there are stories that are maybe mine, not mine to, to tell, but I think that there are in things that are so important for everyone to understand about this eviction cycle that, you know, it's so poorly understood that I think that those stories would have some value. And so I've been thinking a lot about writing a book about my time as a constable. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, it's, uh, 
it's not a subject that's covered a lot, certainly. Uh, not from that angle, anyway. Yeah, I think that as a former politician, I, you know, can tell it from a different vantage point. I'm not trying to be reelected to any job. I'm not asking for that any longer. So I don't have a lot of reason to protect anyone. I think that there are deeply broken aspects of the system and that justice is far too often not applied in the justice court. And so, you know, it's a system that I think people should know about. Yeah. I, you know, what do you, what do you attribute the fact that so few people understand it? I mean, is it just in general folks don't know what goes on in the courts or is it because it's these are actions directed at a hidden population I think it's a, I think it is actions at, at a vulnerable population who are just trying to, you know, get food on the table and a car accident or a medical bill or, you know, a business closing is all that's in between them and homelessness. And so, you know, once, you know, you are behind on your rents, you're trying to work double shifts, but you can't go to your, your eviction hearing or, you know, so many people, I know this is really hard to, to understand, but I've literally talked to hundreds of people who have apartments or they're renting a house or they're living in a trailer and they don't have a, a reliable, secure way to get paper mail, that their mailboxes are broken into, their landlord didn't give them a key, they lost their mail key, whatever it is. And that's how we communicate right now. You know, there you don't get an email when you're being evicted. You don't get a phone call when you're being evicted. Somebody sends you a letter. If you don't get that letter, you can't go. And so I think that there are a lot of problems. And on the South side, those letters are sent out in English. I know that there's a state law related to how communications are, but if you only speak Spanish and you get a letter in English, what are you going to do? Are you going to know to show up for the Zoom hearing? Are you going to know to how to, you know, what phone number to call? So I think that there is an incredible information barrier for a lot of people when it comes to understanding that. And then, you know, I don't think that even I, as a journalist with a college degree, understood that you can go from missing your rent check to being evicted in two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I did not until the first conversation I had with with Kristen when this was all you know when she first became a constable. I didn't realize how quick that was either. Um, I thought there were more protections built in because you always hear from landlords we can't get rid of people who are like this or like that, and 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 so you know I, I assumed it took you know like. You know, in the day job, I got to deal with folks who uh, sometimes aren't paying their water bills. And it can be months before we issue a, uh, a shutoff notice. Yeah. Um, and so I assumed evictions worked the same way. Well, there is an entire system that is designed to shave a, a, a week off here, a day off there. And, you know, these people are making real wild accusations in court and without the tenant being there, the judge has nothing to do but to say yes. I've seen people evicted over trivial matters. 
I've seen victims of domestic violence being evicted for lease violations because they were victims of domestic violence. You know, I've heard, you know, terribly false accusations about drug dealing or other types of crimes with no proof whatsoever, other than the word of a landlord who wants to kick out their tenants. So there are miscarriages of justice and justice court probably every day. Okay. Um, so if uh, someone is, uh, no, is in trouble, e eviction danger, or is knows someone who is, how do they get in touch with the National Lawyers Guild? Well, I think that the best thing is actually probably to start with the uh, constable's office and ask for their social worker. There's a social worker that works at the uh, constable's office. It's a brand new program. It's a wonderful and you know breath of fresh air that was started by Constable Randall and Bernal that's designed to help people get in contact with those services. Sometimes a lawyer is needed, sometimes it's not. But the Guild um, it generally doesn't do a lot of representation. They were more um, volunteers and groups like SALA are kind of the place to go if you need a lawyer. Okay. Well, um, I, you know, I thank you for, for coming on and, and uh, yeah. I'm sorry for it being uh, so down, um, but it's a, this is a real issue that um, I, I, I think we're at a spot though where, and I don't know if you're getting this sense too, but where folks actually do, grasp this issue, even if they don't understand details? Well, I, my, 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 my truest hope is that if you know somebody who's going through this or, or if you are going through this, you know, it doesn't have to have that stigma of shame that goes with it. There are, there are resources, there are other options available. And by talking to your friends or coworkers or family about this issue, you know, a lot can be done before it gets to the point where a constable knocks on your door. And, you know, for your group, I, you have a, a, a cohort of people that are listening to you that are political and active. And I think they should understand that those down ballot races related to their judges and their constables are important. It's not a binary choice. There are a new group, uh, a new generation of constables that are redefining how it works and going a lot farther than just shoving a paper in somebody's face. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, Joe. And thank all of you for listening. Um, National Writers Union Tucson chapter will be having a meeting tomorrow. That's July 18th at 6 30 PM. Um, and our featured reader will be, Harry White, who published a short story collection last year called The Werewolf of Polnoy, uh, was an instructor up at uh, uh, universities in the Chicago area. And uh, he will be coming in by Zoom, which is how we've been doing our meetings for the last few months, year, actually. Um, and, uh, that hopefully will end soon. I, we've got some plans to start going to in-person meetings again. And, uh, if you're in the Tucson area, we'd love to have you come out and actually meet folks in person. I know it's weird. It's been so long, but, um, if you'd like to, 
uh, participate in tomorrow's meeting, uh, just uh, go ahead and uh, check out our Facebook page and you will see details about how to log in. Um, you don't need a special password or anything because uh, we'd like to have you join us. And um, like I said, we probably will soon be going to in-person meetings again. Um, we've got several other folks lined up to uh, do readings with us. Uh, one is Jefferson Carter, who uh, is a poetry instructor at Pima College. Um, and uh, he always has some good stuff to read. We've had him there before. Anyway, I should tell you, I'm Ted Brzezelski, and this has been Words and Work, a presentation of the National Writers Union Tucson chapter and downtown radio. I hope to hear from you next week. Thank you.